Um, Father, thank you for this group. Thank you that uh, we only meet once like this. Uh, today is a new day. Um, would you uh, make it alive? Would you open up your word for us to understand? And would you um, speak, speak to us today? Open our ears and our hearts. Uh, we love you and we thank you. Amen. So how many of you ever feel like uh, you, you know the gospel, but you also know there's like more gospel to understand? Or another way of saying it, yeah, is, is sometimes uh, I know what it means to be a Christian, but I don't live it out. Or I don't really want to, if I'm being honest, or I can go some of the way, but some of me just feels like it's fallen a little flat. And then maybe for others of you, I see some chuckling, it's okay, I'm there, I wrote the question. Um, I, uh, maybe for some of you, uh, this is all new. Some, you're checking church out, you're, you're seeing what this is about, or, um, or maybe uh, a friend of you has been speaking to you about the gospel, and something brought you here today, or you brought your, your own two feet brought you today, but a lot of it just doesn't make sense. You're like, I can see it on paper, but why is it? that people are so much about the gospel? Why is this church so much about the gospel? Well, I hope today we leave with a better understanding of the gospel. And that might drive some of you to groan and go, oh no, one of these gospel sermons. But no, I truly hope that today um, God's truth would come alive to us again. Uh, that's, that's on my heart today. Now, uh, what's happening in this church, this is a letter that we're going through called 1 Corinthians. There are two letters, it's the first letter, and Paul is writing to this church called the Corinthians. That's where they live, in Corinth. So we would be the Montrealers, what, is that what we say here? Montre Montrealians, we'd be the Montrealians if, if Paul wrote us a letter. Um, and um, so what this church has confused is that um, they've confused what wisdom is and who is wise. And really, if I was to get to the heart of our passage, what Paul's heart is for these people is verse 12. And I just want to highlight it for you so that you have a pin on the map here. He says, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. It's, it's sort of both hand, we, we hear the gospel, but uh, we also receive the Spirit, with the, and the Spirit opens up what exactly is the gospel, what God has freely given us. So uh, what exactly is it that the Corinthians were confused? Paul's already been talking about this um, before we get to our passage, and the Corinthians confuse wisdom for being intelligent said eloquently in passionate ways. And Paul is like, no, I said it quite plainly to you, flatly, to be honest. And I did that for a reason. I'm going to say it plain and simple, so you wouldn't confuse me for being wise, the way you say it, intelligent, eloquent, or my message was sophisticated of any kind, so that it would be stripped away and you would just be met with the message of the gospel, so that you could receive its power and understand it wasn't me, it wasn't what I said, uh, it wasn't how I said it, but it was God's word. Then he goes on to explain why exactly that is. God's wisdom is different than our wisdom, and God is going to humble all of us. 
the gospel message humbles those who receive it and those who reject it. And you can find that in uh, chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1 here, I think, 18 and on. He's going to say, God's turning the tables. He's flipping things around. Those who you think are the smart, the intelligent, uh, um, the celebrities that really get it, at the end of the day, it's all going to be stripped away, and they're going to realize, no, that was all for me. I wanted to be smart. I wanted to be intelligent. I wanted this out of life, not Jesus. And then for the others of us that come to the gospel, the world's going to see us and go, they are fools. Not like me. I see the world for how it is. Yet those who follow Jesus, those who receive the gospel, are encountered by this message and go, I need to come down low because God has called me from so far away that I might meet him and his gospel and his cross. So either way, we're going to be humbled. Once we're going to be um, teetering on the top, thinking we, we own the world, and then we're going to be brought low and find out it was all for naught. And then others of us look at life now and go, I need to uh, come under Christ and live in his way and live in his life. And then who uh, was exactly being, uh, the Corinthians, who exactly were they confused, confusing who were wise? If this message was so simple, so basic, yet Paul is going to say that it's quite deep and profound. Actually, one of the, the deepest things we can know, most spiritual things are for gurus, right? For the religious, the elite the celebrities that have the time and money to go to Aspen and like go on some special diet or go to some retreat center or go and do epic um, service unto the world. Like, oh, I flew in my jet with a bunch of humanitarian aid to Haiti and I was, I was on the beach and I'm talking to this poor person. It's like they have these major experiences and you're like, okay, those are the people that can access the truths of this world, the mystical truths. You know, Oprah, uh, Angelina Jolie, Tom Cruise, are these the elite that ha hold on to secrets that I don't know about? Oftentimes, even in, in um, the Christian world, we're tempted by this uh, spiritual elitism. And Paul is just flattening that out right away. He's like, no, there's actually just two kinds of people in this world. And we'll get to that in a minute. But what he's saying is, who is the gospel for? It's for those who are mature, who are spiritual, made alive in Christ. So Paul starts this section emphasizing um, who, who exactly receives the gospel, who exactly are the spiritual elite. It's we. Um, he says, we, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. And, and literally here he says, wisdom we do, however, speak. So it sounds like Yoda, but uh, what he's saying is he's like, there is a message of wisdom. There is something deep to access. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's boring, doesn't mean it's stupid, and we do speak of it. But to who? It is the wise, the, uh, the mature. And you and I might have some idea of what that word mature means, but what does it mean in the Christian faith? Does it mean, again, like we have some secret knowledge that some of us have, some of us don't? Is it those who know Greek and Hebrew? 
and the others of us don't are immature? Or is it we speak in spiritual tongues? Paul's going to play with that word, speak, speak, speak a lot. Is it eloquent knowledge and um, sophisticated language, or is it spiritual tongues, like, oh, I can say things in weird languages that you don't know? Are those the mature? Or have you ever met someone say, I'm just more spiritually sensitive than other people out there? And you kind of go in, you go away going like, oh, am I that spiritual? Is something else? Is, is that who is mature? So let's understand what Paul is trying to say about who is spiritual. So to be spiritual should not be understood as it often is today, uh, in Paul's day, in a way where there are levels of Christianity. To be spiritual is to live for Christ and to think like Christ among his people and in his world. It's to live under Christ's rule always. That's who a mature person is. And it's, it's almost like um, we align our behavior to the truth and the knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord who came, on the, uh, who came to die on a cross and rose that we might rise with him. Uh, there's a quote that says, we never move on from the cross only into a more profound understanding of the cross. So here we have our two peoples. There's the mature, the spiritual, and then the, the natural, the, the, the humanly, the worldly, or um, the unspiritual people. And Jesus will use language like this. His, his language is um, my sheep. There are sheep, and then there are goats. In the Old Testament, God often says my people, uh, this is my city. These, this is my nation. And then everyone else is, is not. So there's just two kinds of people. And, and that might, uh, that might uh, surprise us. It might offend us because we're like, wait a second. I thought I was special. Well, the good news is when you receive Christ, through Christ, you are very special. You are very, very special. Um, so... Uh, but first, we need to understand and receive the gospel. We're going to look at a couple examples of people who have been um, struck by the gospel and acted out in its wisdom. But maybe first, an example that hits closer to home, because when we, when we read the Bible, sometimes we think, oh, that's them, uh, that's, that's not me. Um, or, or we need an example of a story that we might understand. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Goodwill Hunting, there's this main character. He's a genius. He's, he's good at uh, physics and mathematics. And uh, as life unfolds, um, he gets the opportunity to be mentored by a professor. And as he grows in his knowledge of math and physics, his potential for life grows as well. But he meets a girl along the way and finds out what true love is. Uh, and, and this life of being deeply known. Because he's from the slums. He, he, he knows what it's like to be abused and hurt, and he's never really opened himself up to anyone. He has this old life of his buddies. They just go to bars and drink and maybe get in some bar fights and then just rinse and repeat. That's his life. That's what he knows. That's his, that's his old life. And at the end of the movie, he's, he's uh, met with this... Uh, met with this decision he can make. He can either 
take an awesome job. He can earn any amount of money he wants because every government contractor wants him. And to be honest, that would be very practical for him to do. That'd be a wise thing for him to do. Pick a job. Just take it. Work. Work hard. Earn that money. Do what you want with that money. That would make sense. He can weigh out his, his decision. But he has this mentor in the movie. His mentor is you know, played by Robin Williams. And so uh, uh, he tells his story, his love story. And he says, when I met my wife, I just knew. And he's like, what do you mean? Well, I was about to go to this awesome baseball game, Red Sox history, like you've never seen before. And he's like, that game, that game? You went to that game? And he's like, no. I slid my ticket across the table because there was a girl that I knew I was going to marry. And he's like, you are crazy. Why would you ever do that? And he's like, you're crazy, Matt Damon. I just met my wife. I just met the girl of my dreams. And we had a lovely marriage. We were known by each other. And it was good all the way through, even those years of suffering. His wife had cancer and, a, and a, this slow walk to death. And he's like, I wouldn't give up any of those years to not be with, this, to be with my wife. And so the character Matt Damon's faced with this, this challenge. The girl's moving away. He can pick any of these jobs. And he's struggling with his buddy. He's like, man, I just want to work construction. I just want my old life. I just want to stay in this. It's what I know. It's comfortable. And his friend says, you have the freedom to leave this. I don't want to see you again. I want you, I want you to leave this place. Leave the slums. Leave what you know for something new. And so he, at the end of the movie, he takes a chance. It's a vulnerable chance to go out for pursuing that true love, that true relationship. That is someone who's playing out that wisdom that we're talking about. It changes you, and it causes you to make wise decisions, ways that the world won't recognize. In the New Testament, in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's, there's many stories of these. Um, but to pick out a few, there was a Roman officer. His, he was a centurion, um, not a centaur, uh, which would be a man horse, which is not real, but a centurion who's an officer in the, the, in the Roman army. And um, these folks um, are leaders to up to 100 um, soldiers. So, you know, pretty big deal. I don't know if you are in charge of 100 soldiers or not. Um, and he's, you know, he's top of his game. He's, he's top of the food chain. He can have a political career if he wants. He can keep growing in his military career. And yet he recognized Jesus as Lord, even from a distance. And Jesus is amazed that the power of the gospel, his message, is recognized by people like these. And he's excited that more and more people would even recognize him from a distance like this man. And so there's, there's a servant girl in, in the officer's house. And he does what doesn't make sense. He reaches out to Jesus, who might as well be from Guelph, um, if you know Guelph, Ontario. I, I just never liked the name Guelph, so I use Guelph. But uh, Jesus was born a Nazarite, uh, from, uh, from uh, uh, Nazareth. And it's sort of like, what good comes from Nazareth? Yet this Roman soldier recognizes that even though he's, you know, he's the, uh, uh, the, the white male on top, this, this brown guy from Nazareth is holding something that he needs to come under. He's willing to let go of all of that to get to know Jesus, to follow his rule. And he confesses that he needs him to heal the servant girl. 
The next is a woman um, who comes to Jesus as Jesus is having um, a dinner um, with uh, a rabbi. This rabbi is someone of prestige, seen as wise. But a woman comes into this, this dinner, and she's a woman of the city, a woman of ill repute, so a prostitute. And she's hit by the gospel. She, she's awakened by the Holy Spirit and knows how far she came, uh, where she came from and how Jesus is the one who's coming to meet her. Overwhelmed by the gospel message, she brings her wealth, which was an alabaster jar of perfume, and breaks it at his feet. Uh, you and I have bank, uh, bank accounts. It's like taking your bank account and just crushing it open onto Jesus' feet. She's so moved by where she was as uh, um, where she was, how far she was unworthy of being met by Jesus. And in a moment, she wastes all her investment to show something beautiful. So with the Roman soldier, he says, I'm, I'm a soldier. I know how the world works. When I say go, he goes. When I say come, he comes. Yet you, Lord our Lord of all. When you say um, have life, it has life. When you say you're forgiven, you're forgiven. He recognizes the truth of the gospel. This is unwise to the world, and it can't see it. With the woman with the alabaster jar, she goes, how beautiful it is that you saw what I was, um, what an ugly mess I was, yet brought me up out of that, that I would be beautiful in your eyes. And let me show you how beautiful you are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to waste my wealth to make a beautiful moment. And Jesus recognizes that and honors it. The last is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a short guy. Um, I, know, I, I know some women that are like, as long as he's not short. No, no offense, but that's what they're saying. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty harsh. You didn't even get to know the guy. Um, well, well, Jesus is walking through a crowded town, walking through the crowd, and Zacchaeus is what's known as a tax collector. This guy is not good. He's Jewish of ethnicity, yet he's profiting from what the Roman uh, rule is, and he's cutting off the top. So if, if Simon here uh, has taxes and he owes me 10 bucks, I'd say, you owe me 100. And I'd give Rome their money and I'd take what's mine. You know, 90%, whatever it is. Um, so people knew this was going on, and it's, it's like he's a traitor, and he's actively pressing down the people because he can, and he can profit by it. And Rome's okay with this because they, th they find it quite hilarious. They look at that Jew suppressing the Jewish people. This is funny, and I can do it just with money. That's the way the world works, right? But Zacchaeus is in such a place and so curious about Jesus walking through town he climbs up on a tree just to see him as he goes through the crowd. And Jesus, being Lord, walks through the crowd and knows him by name and stops, points up into the tree where Zacchaeus is, says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your place. Let's have dinner. What Zacchaeus knew or came to know about the gospel was that he was no good 
Zacchaeus' starting place was a place of um, not good. Yet Jesus knew him by name, knew him personally, and knew his state and called to him, Zacchaeus, I want to eat with you. Zacchaeus goes on to be moved by the gospel and says publicly, um, if I've cheated anyone, I want to pay them back fourfold. I've, I, I, I want to turn my way away to come and follow you because I see the goodness that you're bringing into my life. So we see that these people are seeing the truth and the beauty and the goodness of the gospel. But why is it that the gospel is so uh, simple to state? It's that Jesus is the Son of God and came and entered humanity, lived among us, lived a perfect life, lived in obedience to his Father and in obedience to the cross. And that action on the cross paid for your sin and mine so that this Roman officer, who is unworthy to know Jesus, even though he had all the accolades, could be made worthy of, of Jesus' crown. The woman, uh, the, the prostitute, could be found beautiful and made, uh, made beautiful once again. Or, or uh, Zacchaeus made good once more. What is it that these people did? Why is it that they recognized the gospel when others didn't? It's the message among the mature. Those who are wise are going to act in wise ways because they now see reality and they're going to act according to what's real. We see that here. The message that uh, Jesus brings is one that's a mystery. And uh, the reason why these people can recognize Jesus and the power of the gospel is because it's actually hidden. It's something that was hidden and now made plain. Uh, we see that in our, in our uh, message today. In chap- uh, verse 7, chapter 2, it says, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers understood it, otherwise they would have obeyed it. Skipping down to verse 9, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So uh, Paul will talk about mystery in many other of his letters, and this just means something that was covered and that now is uncovered. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, it means there are things that God is revealing to us through history. And this is the point in time when Jesus came to reveal the gospel. This was something that was not a surprise to God. Even from the very beginning, it was part of his plan. And it was his joy to reveal it when he wanted to reveal it. So when we're met with the gospel, again, this plain and simple message... What does it mean that it's hidden before our eyes? It means that we need God to get God. We need a movement of the Holy Spirit to uncover the reality of the gospel. And that's going to show itself. It's going to manifest in these ways like the Roman officer, the woman with the alabaster jar, 
and Zacchaeus, all of a sudden it's going to click. It's going to be made known. But they're going to act in new ways. They're going to submit to it. Are there times in your life where these truths have been revealed and yet you sit on your butt? You don't do what the prompting of the gospel is or you're moved to the beauty of the gospel and then you watch Netflix and chill and feel gross by the end of the night because you ate too much popcorn. There's so many times where the Holy Spirit is making known to us the riches and the depths of the gospel and we don't obey it. So to, to need God to get God, this goes back to a word called calling. It's that we're called. And, and Paul will mention this twice already. He mentions at the, at the top of the letter that you're the called holy church, Corinth, even as messed up as you are, and I'm going to get into that, but I want you to know that you're called. You're pulled out as God's people. And this is the act of the Spirit so that we can respond and he says, too, in chapter 1, verse 26, you know, so too then you, think of what you were when you were called. That's that word, called. We need to be called. We need a movement of the Spirit to uncover things that are covered. This isn't on our strength. There's no religious gong that we can keep beating to open it up. There's not enough cows out there we can sacrifice. There's not enough good doing that we can do to do good to uncover it. We need God to get God. And this just is humbling again. Remember where you were when you first met God. Where were you when that happened? And maybe some of you were like, I was doing okay. Others of you, it was more profound. I was a prostitute. I was a traitor. For each of us, we had a moment when that happened. So Paul is reminding them that maybe they're not so special. And the reason is because the gospel humbles us. It wasn't because we were, um, you know, crushing it with our job in New York and God goes, wow, that guy's really impressive. I want to call him to be in my family. No, he's calling all people of all nations in all places, not just the gurus and the celebrities. No, he's going to say, no, I'm going I'm to pants them. It's going to be embarrassing for them. But for you, you're made low so that I can bring you up into my family. You know, Corinth was not like the best of towns uh, compared to Rome. This was not a place where you'd want to retire. It's sort of second rate. So it, it's, it's sort of like, um, in some ways, uh, no offense, Montreal, but um, I'm, so I'm from the United States. And I, when I came here, this is just something that would happen frequently. I would, and mostly uh, people who were immigrating here to Canada, um, I would go into whatever store it was, even doctors, and they'd say, so where are you from? And they were generally depressed. Um, they'd say, you know, uh, what's your name? Oh, Peter, uh, where are you from? Uh, Denver. And they say, why are you here? At, <laughs> has anyone else had that phrase? Uh, yeah, okay, a couple of you. Yeah, a couple of people are like, why are you here? Meaning, you could have gone anywhere else, but you chose here. And maybe it's 
January to February, I don't know. Um, it's like the job market is better other places. Uh, there are more sunny days other places, which, by the way, I've appreciated Montreal because you guys appreciate the sun. Uh, when it's a sunny day, everyone's out. I love it. Um, but, um, but it's second rate. It's not New York. It's not San Francisco. Have you ever talked to people where that's the code word? It's like, oh, I have my internship in San Francisco. And you go, oh, that's, okay, that's a really good internship. You're going somewhere. I'm going to just stew in Montreal. <laughs> it's kind of like that. But the good news is it doesn't matter what city you live in. It doesn't matter the career you have. God's saying, remember the humble beginnings in which you were called. You did not merit it. You did not earn it. But I sought you out. I saw you in that tree. Peter, come down. I want to have dinner with you. That's the people who God is calling, and that's who God is looking for. So now, um, so those are the people that respond. Those are the ones who are mature. There's two types of people. Those who hear the gospel and respond to the gospel, and those who do not. We're at the mercy of God to know God. And that should be humbling to all of us. Yet it should also be exciting because when Jesus came, he was making a statement. He was, he was saying, look how far I'm going to come for you. Not in a way that was begrudging, but one of joy, one of, one of uh, humility, that he would come to us, that it would be on his action to reach out to us. And now we're given the Holy Spirit. When you bend your knee and call Christ Lord, he gives you his spirit. He makes you new. He makes you beautiful. He makes you good. He makes you worthy and gives you his spirit. Yet, I know for a lot of us, there are times in our lives where this falls flat. Why is that? Do you desire to desire God again? Uh, this was the prayer I had recently. Um, I, I was in a place where I'm, I know I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm not worried about that. But I know there's more. I know there's more I can know, there's more I can feel, which is a type of knowing, by the way. There's more I can do. And so I, I asked my city group, and I said, uh, you know, for my prayer this week, I, my, my prayer is, I desire to desire God, meaning I just don't feel desire for him, but I'd like desire for him. And what I was doing was recognizing that I couldn't do it on my own. I needed God to get God. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do nothing. Um, each one of these people responded to the gospel in certain ways, or they were living it out already. So sometimes we need to just examine our lives. Are we living out worldly wisdom, or are we living out spiritual wisdom? Maybe we need to submit to that. And submit just means come under it. Is this the way the world w works? For all of us, you know, we submit to gravity, like it's just a reality. I'm, 
there's not one person who's like floating around in the room saying, I just don't submit to gravity. <laughs> we all do. There's all these rules that we submit to. Yet this is one we're invited into. And that means there's something on us to respond to. And so for some of us today, it's you're exploring Christianity and you want to know Jesus or you're curious about him. And today it just might be that, responding to him in your heart, saying, I want you to be Lord of my life. What does it mean next? For others of us, uh, we've been in the church a while and things have fallen flat and we want to be woken up. So maybe today for you, your prayer is, I desire to desire you again. I recognize that I need your action. There's nothing I, I can do to do that. I need your spirit. So for me, um, this time, it happened in a dream. And I'll, I'll share that dream with you. But I want to recognize that there are many ways that the gospel can come alive to us again. It can be through serving, serving someone else. And you realize in that moment, not only do you realize what it's like to set up chairs for other people to sit in and then take them down at the end of the day, but you go, I realized something new that was made alive to me where Christ was the one who came from all the way up there and came and took a towel and washed our feet. That was the gospel coming alive to me. But this time it was a dream for me. And um, the dream was a really fun story. It was, I was in Denver, Colorado, where I was born, in the same middle-class home that I was, but news had reached our family that the Qu Queen Elizabeth was going to make me king, okay? I was going to become king, and I was sitting there with real feelings, being like, I'm from Denver, Colorado, an American, by the way. I'm not even, I don't even have the right citizenship, I'm from a different category. And so I, I get this letter in the mail, and it's my new driver's license. And in shiny letters, it's a normal driver's license, but in, in like reflective lettering on the bottom, it says king. Because apparently the king needs like a special license, just so people know. Like, you know, okay, he, he's like five miles over the speed limit. Just so you know, he's king. He can do that. Um, and my brother was grappling with this. The next minute, I'm, I'm in, in uh, Westminster Abbey, and, you know, the, the crowd's full of the officials, and no one likes this. No one likes what's going on. They're like, this is not the way it works. This isn't how you do it. And so I, I walk through the crowd, and I, I actually walk past the whole royal family, and the royal family follows these rules, too. They're like, okay, when this guy dies this guy's king. If this guy dies, then you're going to be king. And it was like, no, I just went all the way past it to the queen. It was by her order. She had all authority to do this, and she was quite sure. So I, I get the paper that, that uh, tells what the, the ceremony is going to be about, and, and it's from the government officials. They're like, here you go. This is what you need to know. And I look at the sheet, and it's just mocking me, and the whole crowd knows it. They're all in on this joke. And I try to reason, I was being reasonable with the guy. I was like, um, uh, I, you know, I understand. I'm from Denver, Colorado. I'm not even from the UK. Like, I should not be king. I understand. And the queen goes, what's going on there? She grabs a piece of paper and looks at it and goes, you don't need to listen to that. Get the real sheet of paper. You don't need to put up with that. You're entitled. 
And I was surprised. And the whole crowd was embarrassed. What they meant for my embarrassment, or, or for my embarrassment, was turned back on them. That is the beauty of the cross. And so it, it was not like I was watching a movie, uh, Princess Diaries. It was, um, I woke up at 3 a.m. feeling excited. I woke up feeling what it meant to be royalty. I, I felt real feelings about what it meant to be entitled. Now, I don't, th- I don't think I am going to be king. Um, king Charles can be king. That's fine. Um, but what it was was a gift. It was a gift to help me understand there is more for me to know about the gospel. And for you, it might go- come through serving. It might be for you, it's, it's going to come through community. Or for you, it might come through a dream or a story. Whatever it is, the Spirit wants to speak to us about the deep things of God. God gave us His Spirit that we might know His thoughts. You and I have a Spirit, and we can talk to ourselves. We know our thoughts. And maybe, you know, for you, it's like you think back to when you liked a girl or a guy, and you're like, I just want to know what they're thinking. Do they like me or not? And then you start dating and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Like, I know her thoughts, she knows mine. Like, it's so cool. But we now have the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know him deeply. Do you want that? That's our prayer for today. So um, the ways you can respond. Maybe for you today, it's you need to have a conversation with your Father in heaven. And you can do that during worship. And Vivian, you can come down, uh, uh, or you should get ready. We're, we're double teaming it today with Noah. Um, so, uh, and if you're new to this Christian thing, maybe it's you need to talk to Jesus. You're, you're allowed to. It's, there's no special way. Just talk to him. He's here. He's present. He's with us. He knows us. He wants you to respond. And maybe like uh, Matt Damon in, in Goodwill Hunting, it's time to see about a girl. But in this case, it's, it's time to see about a guy, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so uh, we're going to play a few songs and, and, and worship together. And during that time, we're going to take communion. For those of you who already know Jesus Christ as your Lord and you're following him, you can take that. But maybe you need to pause you haven't been responding to the gospel the way God wants you to. And that's not him, you know, pointing his crooked finger down on you. But no, it's for the joy of the gospel that he wants you to respond. Do you need to know you're good, you're worthy, you're beautiful? Do you need to know God's truth? Ask his spirit. Respond to him that you might know him. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son and revealing your mystery to us. We praise you, Father, for making it humbling. There is no one that will not be humbled by the gospel at the end of the day. Lord, I recognize that I need you. I need your gospel. Would you remind me of my calling, of where I came from, 
not out of my own merit, but that it was out of your great love and your free gift to me that you sought me out and brought me up, that I could be part of your royal family, a child of God. I desire to know you deeply, know what it feels like to run around your feet like I was a child in your courtroom. God, I recognize that I need you to make you known. I'm at your mercy, Lord, yet you value mercy. Would you have mercy on me today? In Jesus' name, amen.